You're listening to the New Utah Podcast with your hosts, Bree. People can say my name and I still don't pay attention. Chris. This is what happens when your number one health concern in the state is porn. Jeremy. Flicks it and then walks out and just kicks the living crap out of whoever. And Julia. This week on Julia does everything that's embarrassing. Julia's not here. <laughs> uh, episode 360. She's probably somewhere doing something embarrassing, though. I'm positive. Full 360. That should be the episode. A full 360. So we're going to start talking about everything but Utah now? <laughs> there are weeks we do that. <laughs> Boy, uh, but that'd be a 180. A full 360 would all be, the way uh, around. We go, so we got to talk about everything around Utah and then get, and back, then to get Utah. back to Utah. We'll see if we can do some circular talk today. Full 360. Um, our guest is going to be so confused. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, 360 episodes. Which that, along with that, we're like three weeks away from our seven-year anniversary, something uh, like that. Yeah, it's in May. Yep. Sometime in May. Um, seven May. fucking years, man. That's a long time. Seventh anniversary. So seven times 52 is four, one hundred and I don't know. I don't know. 364? Should be right around 360, because it's only a few weeks from now. Yeah, it'd be 364. It would be exactly what so, it is. four weeks from now. Right? Yeah, 364. So this time next month. Wait, about, it's, it's around the 15th. Do we have a guest scheduled for that episode? I don't know. Probably. Probably. Oh, we should cancel them. <laughs> just do a show about nothing. People love that. I'm just kidding. We'll keep the guest. Uh, they'll just be the lucky guest. It won't even be someone that was like curated specifically. Oh, it'll for be it. fun. It's going to be Madge again. Oh, hopefully. We'll yeah. see. But I, she had I, to cancel last yeah, time. Yeah, she, uh, that was beyond her control. I think that she'll make it this time and she, she'll be able to be somebody we can have fun with. Yeah. Yeah. There Celebrate. we go. Celebrate. Celebration. Um, it was raining dirt today. So yeah, sure when, when you said it was raining dirt, like, it's not that you I didn't, didn't believe me. It's not that I didn't believe you. It's just that it was raining and it was really dirty when I was driving. But when I went to go get Phoebe uh, this afternoon, like it was on and off throughout the valley as I was driving all the way over to 33rd where Phoebe's day camp is. And uh, <laughs> going in and this other lady is coming out and she's like, oh, it's starting to snow, of course. It wasn't snow. <laughs> no. It was dirty rain. I get back into my car and it is covered in white from dirty rain because there was so much wind and yeah. so much stuff in the air. And the rain, just every droplet had tons of particulate in it. Yeah. So catch that stuff with your tongue. You'll get a full meal. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but it is spring. <laughs> um, and these couple days of warm... That maybe causes the creeks to get a little full and then come back down for a few days with these colder days. Like, that's exactly how we need to warm up. And I know yeah. it sucks for the people that are being flooded a little bit, but you also chose to live next to a fucking water source that has potential for flooding, with one exception. Those poor fuckers in Kaysville. That's all the contract that, the developer. They should not be in a situation where they have a giant sinkhole in the front of all over their homes. Yeah, like, or the whole road. Insane. It's just gone. Yep. And their garages are now starting to go, and like they, their houses are not livable. Nope. Uh, and those are all new, so yeah. that's all on the Brand new and like, still under construction. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch on that block that still aren't done, so sucks for that developer. Um, but, uh, yeah, like if you choose to own a house within a couple blocks or a business within a couple blocks of a Creek, like immigration Creek or city Creek or mill Creek 
or Little Cottonwood Creek, any of those creeks that come down from the canyon, I know they're not that big of a deal most of the year, but this is the time of the year where the spring runoff. And most of them are expensive homes. They pay big money to live underwater. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's I, I feel for them, but also they should be aware of where they're at and they should prepare. And, um, you know, the flooding thus far hasn't been that bad. Like Immigration Creek has been the worst of it outside of the Kaysville stuff. I think there's been some stuff in Ogden, too, that's been pretty rough. The Ogden River was really bad for a while. But I think they've done a really good job at diverting it and staying on top of it. Yeah, diverting it, clearing stuff out. So we talked about how different it is, and it was in 83. Sugar House Park, for example, we, Jeremy and I were talking off air. Sugar House Park was designed specifically to be a reserve basin to flood. So... Don't go hang out in Sugar House Park right now. It's probably not a good time. Did you not it's... see all the idiots that parked right next to the lake and then let the lake <laughs> overtake their cars? Yeah, they're they're morons. But that's that park was designed. If you've ever been there, it's a giant bowl. Yep. It was designed that way. To take the water as opposed to the neighborhoods. Yes, so that it could fill up and relieve some of the pressure from the creeks and the neighborhoods so the banks don't overflow. It's much better to fix a park than it is an entire subdivision of houses. Well, and there's not much to fix. You're fixing yeah. Waterlogged grass that probably actually won't even matter that it flooded for a little while. Like it'll just still be grass. Yeah, it's extra wet. I know we're not out of it by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think Salt Lake's done a really good job so far with controlling the flooding and keeping things. Well, the weather's been the biggest control. Salt Lake didn't have anything to do with the fact that it got warm but then cooled off and now it yeah, got warm they, and then cooled they, off. They did tons of sandbagging. They've been constantly so one of the things that does happen too is we get these big snowstorms like the one we had what a week ago and avalanches. Lots of avalanches and those avalanches put tons of debris into the waterway like big branches and trees and rocks and that crap carries down the waterway and then in the drainage systems that we have for diversion they get clogged up. And then the river, actually, the banks start to change because the normal route gets clogged mm-hmm. by all that crap. So they are working constantly, like, every day to clear that stuff out. And Yeah, I wonder what they were doing by our water main. I don't know. He was on his belly, and I know there's tons of stickers there, so that couldn't have been great. No. And he was doing, he was dicking around with our water main, the Kern's water people were. But. Where there was just that thing. Maybe they're just checking everybody's to make sure there's not any other no, It looks like he was doing something, but he was like, I can hear anything that happens water-wise in my office because that's where the main comes into the house and where the shutoff valve is. So even him fucking with the main out on the street, I can hear it. Hmm. And I mean, I must have decent hearing to be able to hear it. It's like <laughs> in my super hearing range, I guess. So anyway, who put the fish doorbell thing on there? Must have been Jeremy because I haven't done shit. It wasn't me. It's been on there for. Okay. Because it was on the like template of the notes and yeah. I wasn't sure and I took it off and I left it here. Okay. So we're just going to take this off. I don't know where that. Julia I, put it on Julia that. has never once in her life accessed our notes. That's true. I don't think she's ever actually opened them. So, so where did that come from? I, I'm sure it was something someone wanted to talk about months ago and it's just <laughs> it's been, been there, there. forever. <laughs> Um, Jeremy, you got a chicken update? So, Cluckingham Palace continues. <laughs> That's what my kids have started calling it. Uh, we did get all the chicks and chickens put together. They're merged. Over the weekend. So I got 30 chickens now, but the, uh, the new chicken house is massive. 
there's plenty of room for everybody. Uh, big. We're not done, but it's mostly enclosed. I'm hoping another two or three weeks, only because I've got other things I have to do. But I'm hoping about two or three weeks. And so is it all going to be solid roof then? There's no open roof? Yep, solid roof. That's good. Give Jingles. Them some shade. Yep, that way they've got shade. They've got protection from rain, snow, all of that. And then the whole idea is to be out in this new section and very little in the actual shed, mm-hmm. so I can use it as a shed for a change. Yeah. That's um, probably a good idea. So, yeah, it's coming along nicely. Um, probably when I get a little closer, I'll, I'll, I'll post some pictures on our social medias for any of you who care. <laughs> I'm sure there's one or two of you who might. <laughs> However, we have quite a few guests that are like, are you the one with the chickens? Yeah, so, we all know about it. We, we talk about the chickens, chickens a, a lot. Deal. Yeah. So, yeah. I got to get my lawns aerated. I was I haven't told Bree yet because I haven't really talked to her this afternoon. She's been busy. But I'm just going to buy, like, a manual aerator, I think. Just one that you push around with your hands that's, like, 40 or 50 bucks. At least I think that's what they are. If I get there and they're over $100, I'll say fuck that. But Yeah, if that's going to just get the people in the neighborhood that are doing it. You yeah. see them all over the place. Aerating for 30, yeah. 40 bucks. But I need to get the front lawn aerated and probably the back, too, and just throw down lots of clover seed. Are you going to seed the backyard even though we have I, to fix it? I think I have to. It's pretty tore up unless you want mud constantly all summer. By constantly all summer, I mean anytime it rains or we water. Yeah, but it won't rain over the summer. Um, yeah. Um, couple notes for the week here. Um, Salt Lake Marathon is this coming weekend. And so. Don't go downtown. Lots of street closures to pay attention to. Um, um people running. We were miles. talking about this just before the show. I wonder if they're going to have to divert it at all because of the. Water? I don't think it's supposed to be, like, super, like, warm. So I don't think they will, but we'll have to see. Uh, I'm sure they have those contingency plans. But one thing is for certain, stay away from downtown (laughs) Saturday morning, basically. Unless you're part of it, then by all means. Yeah, but if you need to go downtown, just wait until, like, 3 in the afternoon on Saturday or go Friday. But... Saturday morning, most of the streets will be blocked off for yeah, the marathon. Pretty much all set downtown Salt Lake is shut down. Parking will be people, screwed up. Yeah, and... people running 26 miles for no reason. I don't understand. They still have the bike part of it, too, don't they? I'm, I'm sure that they would. I don't think it's a triathlon. It's well, a no, no, no. They have, they have the, the marathon, but along with it, they do the bike routes. I thought they did it separately. I I know that eh, I don't know. In years yeah. before, they've they've had them combined some years. Well, I don't know. I don't know. And my connection to that, I haven't worked with in years. So yeah, I would have to disagree. I with I used to work assessment. with a doctor who bicycled, and I don't recall that I, they would, did them together. Yeah, I would have to disagree with your assessment that there's bikes involved. There are literally no pictures of bikes anywhere. <laughs> I'm looking at their stuff. There are no uh, no pictures. With bikes, there are no indication of a bike race. I think you are making it up. <laughs> That's all in your head, Jeremy. Could be. I mean, you might not be. Like, I, I could be wrong. There is a Facebook post that has a bicycle on it. So let's see. <laughs> um, that's for Marathon Photos Live, which is not just the Salt Lake Marathon. So um, also, as I got there, there are no bike photos. No so, yeah, I think you're crazy. <laughs> it's possible. I think, sir, you have your races mixed up. <laughs> it's possible. And I don't mean like like people races. Like <laughs> people do race, but. Because I am so into the marathon scene. Um, 
Yeah, you said something about Hill Aerospace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw something? I saw something that they're doing. So they're calling it the Crew Chief Program. So the Hill Air Force Space Museum Crew Chief Program. Uh, So what it is is it's the planes that they have, which they've got quite a few. If you go back in the story episode where we had our interview, they've got a number of them that are in storage that are being worked on and prepped to come into the museum. Uh, You can sign up your organization for a quarterly team building experience, and you actually get to work on the planes. That's they, cool. They actually they help you. And it says no experience needed, so they'll they'll guide you and help you. But you can actually take part in restoration on like some of these cleaning, planes. painting, yeah, probably riveting. I don't know, <laughs> whatever it is that they need. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you can use it as a team building experience if your company. I- I will tell you, as someone who has done a lot of team building activities like this, that would be a fantastic team building activity. That would be so cool. Um, and usually when they suggest it as a team building activity, they have team building stuff tied to it. Um, you know, I've taken my team to uh, the food bank to do stuff before, which everyone really enjoyed that um, when I had a bigger team. Um, you know, there's a bunch of stuff like that you can do. I would have loved this. I would have definitely yeah. taken advantage of this as a, uh, as a good team building exercise. I think that would be so cool to, to be actually be able to work on the plane. Doing anything would be awesome. Did I talk about, remember we talked to that dude that was, uh, I can't remember his name is Brian something. I can't think of it off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, that did team building stuff. He, he oh, yeah, did, yeah. he was, uh, um, uh, that was pre COVID. Improv. It? Improv stuff. And uh, he did um, group improv classes for team building. Holy cow. That dude, like, I, I, you know, I was like, oh, this is, a, I think this can work. I, I have an idea. Uh, I had him come. And before he came, I had talked to him about, like, hey, I want these three outcomes. That's what I'm shooting for out of this. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he's like, so how did you guys feel? Like, what would you get out of this? And without prompting, they said very specifically, like two of them said, like almost word for word, what I had discussed with him. That's perfect. In terms of That's outcome. awesome. So I was really happy with it. So I'll just plug him again. I don't even know if he's still doing it. And I don't know what the episode or what his name is, but he does improv. I know. Was, then that's not really a plug. <laughs> it, was, it was before COVID. I remember that. Yeah. I think it was during COVID maybe that I had him come. I'm not sure, but... Uh, uh, it was a really good, anyway, it just made me think about the team building stuff yeah. and someone that I, you know, we interviewed here that I ended up reaching out to and, and, and doing stuff with and worked out great. So, you know, we eat our, we eat our own dog food sometimes when we talk to people. I don't think any of us That's voted disgusting. for, uh, Burgess Owens though. I think, uh, <laughs> that guy is out on a, <laughs> not eating that dog food. I hope not. Please don't. <laughs> but yeah, it's called eating your own dog food whenever you, uh, you know, use your own product, basically. So we consumed <laughs> our own product. That's disgusting. Why would you use that as a saying? That's just the saying. I don't know. I don't know who came up with it. They came up with it. it Some dog food company came up with it. And like, we, <laughs> we eat our own dog food, I guess. I don't know. That's so good a person can eat it. I'm sure that's probably where it came from is the, some commercial for dog food. Purina. Only because that's the only one I can think of at the moment. Yeah, pure, pure. There is who's the company here locally? Because there's a big dog it's food pure, company here. I don't know. It stinks though. That dog food sure does. That dog up, food place is gross. The one in Ogden. The fish food place stinks too. The one over in Murray. Murray. Yeah, yeah. that smells horrible. But hey, we've got some cool little niche uh, industries that have found homes here. So fish got to eat. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Let's get to the guest. 
All right. This week we're joined by uh, Sean Knudsen. I got that right this time. I, like I was like, well, maybe I'll call him Nudson or Nudson. <laughs> so then I phonetically write it out. And then half the time, because there's discussion after that off the air, I end up saying it wrong anyway. So I'm glad I didn't. Um, but uh, Sean is the uh, the owner and operator of Alpha Pros Canine Training. Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's right. And you're in Spanish Fork, right? Yeah, we are. Spanish nice. Fork, Payson. When I go to your website, it all says Payson everywhere. So, but they're basically the same place. Pretty much. But well, we weren't Payson up until like a month ago. So we're kind of moving things around. I like Payson Lakes. That's what I know Payson for in the tiny right. store I've been to there. It's gorgeous <laughs> up there. That's like the only thing I know about Payson. It's where you go through to get to Payson Lakes. So, <laughs> pretty yeah. much, right? Yeah. A lot of good hiking up in that, that, those hills up there. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's growing because I've done, we've done quite a few projects there. It used to be a quiet, sleepy little town, but it's not so much anymore. Well, I feel like all of Utah County is just exploding these days, you know? It's really good. It is. Well, because there's, there's hardly anywhere left in Salt Lake Valley to build. So it's all spilling over into Utah County. Mm -hmm. Well, it used to be when you'd come around that, that first point of the mountain after Nephi, you know, there was spacing between some of those towns, Payson and, you mm-hmm. know, Springville. and Now Spanish. it's getting like Salt Lake, Murray, now, West Valley. Now there's not really <laughs> a break in population center all the way up through Ogden. So, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Bree has to walk out and go <laughs> deal with the dog. I left the front door open, so she's probably barking at like a cat in the front yard or something. Oh, gotcha. Um, She'll just sit out, sit out there, and look at our front, out the front door as long as we have it open. But she doesn't like other animals being in the yard. It's understandable, you know. They're just so threatening. <laughs> I think it's because she just wants to play with them. Oh, like, really? She tries to play with everything that will let her. <laughs> so, well, better that than being aggressive, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Sean, first question we have for you is, uh, when's your birthday? What's the month and date of your birth there? So I was born in March 8th. Oh, well, that's not too long ago. That was like a a month ago. Yeah, just about. Yeah. So, so June, first part of June, your your parents were on a date celebrating somebody's birthday. Is that that Woodstock time frame? I don't know how old Sean is. Like, were they Woodstock (laughs) 99 people? No, I'm Maybe. a 2000 baby. So, so Woodstock '99 might actually be concerts. They might have been in on like. Were you were you uh, <laughs> were you conceived here in the state or born in the state? I was. So I was actually born down in Gunnison. Um, yeah. Maybe they I'm, were at the Ute Stampede. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a really good rodeo that night. Nine months later, here you are. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Gunnison, huh? Gunnison, Colorado, right? Gunnison, uh, no, Utah. Gunnison, Gunnison Utah. Utah. Why would you suggest Gunnison, Colorado? I don't know because there's that's the Gunnison I know for some reason. Not Utah? Yeah, I know Gunnison, Colorado. <laughs> Gunnison is huge in Utah. I mean, in comparison uh, to some of the other places. I would not yeah, call that's Gunnison true. huge. <laughs> if I know about it, it's huge. I mean, it's like not even off of a major interstate. So, But I know about Gunnison. They even have their own hospital. Isn't it like Gunnison over by like like Salina and not really Richfield, but like off I-70 by Salina somewhere? I don't know, but they have their own hospital, so there must be big. Okay, we're gonna. How big is Gunnison? Uh, I need a definitive answer from our friend Sean here. Oh gosh, I do not know. 
Yeah, I mean, I was a little tiny baby when we lived there. We actually moved pretty quickly to Ephraim, but, I mean, we could look up. <laughs> really get bigger. Moving to okay. the big city. Gunnison 3, is... 3,426 in 2021. Yeah, and Ephraim's okay. double that size at 5,700. So, so same over yep. the big city. <laughs> but Ephraim doesn't have their own hospital. That's true, but they have That's snow... probably why I know about Gunnison. They have Snow College, though, don't they? Isn't that where Snow is? Is it Ephraim? Yeah, it is. Yeah. We actually yeah. lived right behind the campus, and that was a hoot. They had a ton of turkey farms, or at least they did. Sure <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> so did you grow up then in Ephraim? Yeah, so I spent all of my grade school years in Ephraim. Um, and, I mean, it was great, other than there's not much to do when you have to do everything within walking distance. So we got into a lot of trouble, to say the least. <laughs> hey, I know the feeling. I mean, I grew up in a big city compared to you of 12,000 people, so... Oh yeah, that's definitely a big city. It's a double. I mean, the big city for us, the next town over. This, this I always talk about this because perspective's so crazy now. Next town over was like thirteen miles away, about thirty thousand people. That was a trip to get to go to the next city over because now Jeremy lives like thirty minutes away, and we just go there. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like thirteen miles. Shit, I drive that every day to work. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, growing up in Ephraim, like how, I mean, you didn't really get out because you're, you're just, just a little bit bigger now in like Spanish Fork and Payson. So yeah. what, what did you do? So you grew up there. Did you go to high school in Ephraim or did you? Uh... No, I actually moved from Ephraim right from fifth grade to sixth grade that, that summer in between. So um, yeah, I just spent when I was a little kid down there. I went to high school at Salem Hills High. Okay. Oh, so every time you moved, you doubled in size the city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just keep going up, you know. We're, we're going to check. We're going to check. Yep, ninety eight hundred. So <laughs> it so, really is like why all the moving was was it your parents' work? I'm assuming. Um. Honestly, it was really just trying to find where we could fit in, where they wanted to stay. Um. And so they lived in Gunnison, they lived in Ephraim, and they were fine for the time, but they always wanted to live somewhere closer to bigger cities so there was more convenience. Um, and then also they just wanted to live somewhere, you know, that they could actually have a lot more around to do. You know, with little kids, they were always hauling us up like the canyons and stuff, just trying to keep us busy. But when we moved up here, there's just a lot more for us to actually, you know, do as a family and get out and enjoy life. So. Um, and then Salem in particular, because actually my dad ran the marathon when he was, you know, a young bachelor. So from a very young age, he had always had it in his mind. I'm going to live there someday. And uh, yeah, he finally got the funds and they made the move and we've loved it ever since. Nice. Fantastic. Well, and Salem's not bad. I think what you described is is pretty appropriate because it's like 10 minutes from Provo. And Provo is mm -hmm. a fairly sizable place. It's no Salt Lake City, but uh, it's got malls and movie theaters and bowling a alleys. And it's got yeah, university, Walmart. As long as you got a Walmart, I think Salem probably has a Walmart now, right? I know Spanish Fork. <laughs> Spanish Fork does right off the freeway. I know that. So Spanish Fork and Payson do, but Salem is yet to get a Walmart. We will see. <laughs> yeah. I figured they probably figure, well, we got one in Payson. Who needs to put one in Salem? Like, yeah, exactly. So I, it was, it's funny. Like Walmart is an interesting like marker for a place because Walmart destroys small towns, but like Salt Lake City, I remember in the, the late nineties, early two thousands, 
There was the Walmart in Taylorsville on 54th and Redwood. That thing was a trash hole. It was it. It was the only one. It was their number one grossing store in the nation for years. Because the next Walmart in the Valley was on 104th. It was all the way over across from South Mall. How do you remember this? I just remember these weird factoids. Like, like, it was the number marketing or something. It was the number one grossing Walmart (laughs) in all of the country because it was it. Like, it was servicing the entire west side of the valley. And within like five years, they put the one out in West Valley. They put the one up out here. They put the one in West Jordan. Like, they're all over the place now. They put the one downtown, like roughly downtown off of like 13th. So. But anyway, that's just a little bit about Walmart, and Walmart, <laughs> weird Walmart placement. It was just weird to me that they only had the one for so so much of the valley. I and it was always so trashy. Well, no, I wouldn't so ever still go to that one. It's still trashy. Yeah, it's still trashy. I haven't been to it in years. I, I, I remember going to it once or twice because it was the only one. Just like, uh, what is Walmart? Anyway. What is Walmart was the question you were asking? Well, yeah, because I'd never really been to one. When we got a Walmart in our small town, it closed down three grocery stores between two towns and two departments. Oh, yeah, it kills everything around it. Yeah, it was brutal. Yep. Um, so anyway, okay, so you go to Salem Hill, Salem High. Um, you know, do you go to college at all uh, after you leave uh, high school? What do you kind of do from there? No, actually, um, I didn't even finish out my high school um, diploma. I actually ended up leaving and getting my GED because I just decided school is just not for me. You know, I was just one of those kids. I could not sit still. So I was ready to get out and start working. Um, and at the I time, my, my dad and my uncle had been running a dog training business. I've oh, nice. been doing it in my uh, out of school hours with them. And so I talked with my dad and we came to an agreement that I would get my GED and work with him full time. Um, That's awesome. I, yeah. You know, looking back at like high school and stuff now, I'm like, we should encourage more kids to get their GEDs because I think a lot of kids just don't do well in high school because it's just garbage and do much better if they would just, you know, get have that path put in front of them. But I think for, you know, for the most part, people look down on GEDs and I think they're, mm-hmm. you know, there's no reason. I mean, to. I basically got a GED. Yeah. My mom just convinced Granger High to give me their diploma. I think it's just because. 70s and 80s time frame, people that got a GED, GED, it meant you dropped out of high school, were a loser for 10 years, and then had to go back to finish it. So that's what people perceive. That isn't the case, and that isn't what it is, but that's the stereotypical thought people have is, oh, you couldn't hack it. And I don't know that that is the case anymore. I think you guys might think that because you're old, but I, (laughs) I really don't. I mean, how many people have we interviewed that have done the same thing? Like a, a ton. And most and most Super of the people successful. we interview are very successful yep. entrepreneurs, so that makes a lot of sense. So you get into uh, this dog training thing, uh, helping out your dad. So is 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 Alpha Pros originally your dad's business, or was he just kind of doing that on the side? Like, what was how was that working? No, so Alpha Pros is actually something me and my wife started in October of this last year. Um, you know, we had been talking about starting our own company for a while. And finally she was like, why don't you just do it? I was like, I kept making excuses. You know, I'm working all the time. We're so busy. We just had a kid. And I was like, you know what? You're right. You know, it's kind of now or never. Um, and we just took a leap and we just decided to put all our chips in one basket. And it's been really good so far. So what is it about, what is it about dogs and, and dog training that really, 
kind of grabbed you? I mean, at some level when you're, when you're a kid in high school, like sometimes just doing what's comfortable is fine, but you know, something like dog training, I think you feel, feel like you have to have some sort of passion for it to, mm-hmm. to really jump in with it. So what was it for you? Well, you're definitely right. Dogs can be a little bit difficult. I think for me, I mean, I've always loved dogs. We've always had dogs growing up. And then once we actually really got into training, I kind of saw that there was almost a therapeutic aspect to it, you know, because like really all dog training is, is just learning to communicate with your dog um, and finding ways to do that without using your words. And it just, for whatever reason, when you focus all of your time and your energy on this other being and helping them progress and grow mentally, it almost helps you mentally in a really strange way. So I've had a lot of fun with that, actually, because my dog, I ended up training her to be a little bit of an uh, emotional support dog. So she actually helped me get through a lot of hard times in high school and stuff and trying to figure out myself. So uh, I, I don't know. It's just no, go ahead. It's, isn't a good a good portion of dog training actually owner training? <laughs> yeah, actually, I say that a lot. You know, I I uh, masquerade myself as a dog trainer, but really, I'm just a people trainer. I just yeah, teach the do- people how the to dog talk. is the easy part. Half the problem is the owner. Yep, you're exactly right. Ask any other trainer; they'll say the same exact thing. Well, I mean, it's it's funny because people will be like, "How come the dog will do it for you and not for me?" It's because that person's same setting boundaries kids and demanding. Listen to authoritarian figures and don't listen to their parents because they can con their parents, but. Maybe not like their teacher or somebody like that. Yep. A lot of the trouble that I see with people is just like, you know, a parent with a new kid. You want to spoil their dog. You want to spoil the kid. And then, I mean, they're not dumb. Dogs and kids are pretty much the same intelligence level and they will (laughs) figure out how to manipulate you. They might not be doing it maliciously, but they absolutely will. Yeah, that's a really good statement there. Like dogs and kids are very similar. So with your training, do you do, um, you know, a, a lot of group classes? Do you have like a facility that you're training at or are you more like specialized one-on-one type stuff? So right now we're kind of doing mostly one-on-one private sessions and in-home sessions. Um, we have done group classes in the past. Um, I find that those are really difficult though. You know, it's a really good option, kind of budget friendly, but the hard part is, is the people come in and they're not nearly as invested. And like we were saying before, if, you know, if I'm trying to train a person and they're not really into it, they just want to come to me and have a quick and easy solution. That's not really what we do. You know, they really have to be in it full force or it just doesn't work. Um, so I find that it's just very difficult to have that. Um, typically if I do end up finding somebody that's willing to put in the time and the effort, um, and they're struggling financially, I'd be more willing to work with that person one-on-one because it's just hard to find somebody like that. Um, so what kind of things do you see the most of what, what kinds of things do people come to you with their dogs needing your help with? Most of the time. It kind of depends on the time of year and, you know, the area you're in as well. 
I honestly see most of the time people get a dog and it's just really high energy. It's all over the place. They'll get, you know, a sheep herder dog or <laughs> a terrier or some dog that comes from a working dog. I don't dog. understand. I got like, this, I got this doodle, which is a mix between two working breeds. I don't know why they're so energetic. <laughs> I don't know why it keeps trying to herd me into the wherever it wants me to go. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, those are the fun ones actually because they get this working line dog and once I teach them how to communicate and how to train this dog, the dog just takes off. You know, they go from being this loose cannon to all of a sudden they're just like shipped up, they're ready to go. They're always listening. They're always watching. Um, it's a lot of fun, but yeah, that's typically what I see is they just don't know how to handle the energy. So, I, so I've had, we've had dogs for years. Um, in my opinion, I think most dogs want the approval of their owner. They want to do what the owner wants them to do. You know what I mean? They want that. But mm -hmm. if the owner doesn't know how to, to provide that, that's where the, the disconnect comes from. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Honestly, the fact that the dog accepts you into the pack automatically means they're looking for your approval, right? Um, and honestly, it's... Really what I try to do is go from having the dog see you as a member to seeing you as the leader, right? Because mm -hmm. once you're the leader and they know they can rely on you, the desire to get your approval just amplifies itself. Um, well, yeah. and it, I feel like it makes a nervous dog. So we, we got Phoebe before COVID. She's, she's going to be four this year, but, um, she went through a really bad nervous phase, um, where she was starting to become really aggressive and mm. we took her to like a trainer and they did, they kind of did a, while we were out of town, they kind of did boarding slash training and stuff and then brought us back into it and kind of taught us. And she improved quite a bit, but I can see where owners think that that aggression is, Oh, the dog is dangerous. And really she just was like, I don't know. I'm scared. I don't, I don't know what I should do. I don't know what's mm -hmm. expected of me. What am I doing? And I, I wholly believe in getting a trainer and having them teach you how to communicate with your dog. Like you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, a lot of that anxiety just comes from the fact that they don't know what's going on. So we deal with a lot of quote unquote aggressive dogs when in reality, they're really not necessarily aggressive. They're just afraid and they're dealing with it with the only way they know how, which is to protect themselves and kind of put up that barrier. Um, but when we do a lot of this obedience work, when you have your dog under control and you can really control the situation that they're in, you teach them that you do not need to protect yourself. You do not need to be afraid. I will do that for you. You just trust me, put your faith in me and I'll take care of the rest. Um, do they, do, does the dog just not feel like you're the pack leader? And so they think that they need to be th the, protector. yeah, they're, they're mm -hmm. thinking maybe they need to step in. They're just confused. Exactly. Yeah. And when you really teach them that there is a hierarchy and you sit down here and I'm up here, you look to me anytime any stressful situation arises, they really will kind of fall into that role. Do you uh, find that you train very many small dogs, little dogs? Are you getting a lot of requests for that? I get occasional ones. Um, typically, if it's a smaller dog, the person, I mean, if they have issues, they're so small, they just pick them up, right? There's Which is really... the most frustrating thing to me in the whole entire universe. If I'm somewhere with my dog where like it's pet friendly, it's almost always a little dog that tries to pick a fight with my dog. 
Yeah. Like almost always because their owners are like, well, they're just little and they can't hurt you. Well, okay. But that doesn't mean that you should let them come over here to my dog who's sitting here behaving and like bite at them and try and gnaw on their leg or take their toys or little dogs are little jerks. They absolutely can be. We, we call that little dog syndrome. I feel like they just have something to prove, you know? Well, and I think little dogs also suffer from a lack of, of caring and attention and a, and a respect. So because mm-hmm. they're little and they can get away with bad behaviors, like no one ever, I shouldn't say no one, but generally speaking, people don't train their little dogs not to run up and jump on people. Like they just yeah. do it. And most people are like, Oh, it's so cute. But when a 75, 80 pound dog runs up and jumps on you, they're going to knock your ass over half the time because sometimes they weigh more than the thing they're, they're jumping on. Yep. And so you have to like, work on those skills with the dog, like door manners, like, Hey, you can't jump on people when they walk in the house. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But people don't do that with little dogs. That's just one example where, you know, little dogs get away with a lot because people just, Oh, it's so cute. Well, Yeah. I mean, even our little dog will used to do it. Not so much anymore than these old, but like he, he goes and jumps and everybody pets him and loves him, but everybody sees Phoebe and they're like, Oh, don't, geez, jump, on don't jump on me. <laughs> Yeah, and it's one of those things, it's not such a big deal when it's a little dog jumping up on a person. It's not like they're going to hurt you. Even if they bit you, they probably wouldn't even break skin. Uh, it's a problem when they go up and do it to another dog, though, because the dog right. doesn't care about the size. All they see is another dog snarling, you know, getting up in its face, and then all of a sudden, they're in fight or flight. Um, it's a really bad situation all around. Yeah. We we used to have a different pit bull mixed dog that got attacked by a little dog and she was such a calm dog she just stood there like help me <laughs> she, she was an argentinian dogo pit bull mix yeah oh, so wow. she could it could have been bad and yeah. and that was and it was good that she that little dog stood there with the dog it was a he's a he's a, a boston terrier pug mix and oh, he, gosh. he just like yes, had a hold of her jowl exactly. and she just kind of stood there like what am i supposed to do and i always tell it was our friend's dog and i always tell our friend it's a good thing that 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 dog decided to attack our old dog and not Phoebe because Phoebe's pretty well trained, but she's also like, she's way more high strung because she does have a little bit of a hurting breed in her. And she would have, she would have been like, Nope, I'm not having that. So, so I, I see you do uh, service dog training as well. Um, Mm -hmm. what, what kind of service dog training, just generic service dog training. Do you do training for, you know, vision impaired folks, like what, what kinds of stuff do you do? So the stuff that I've done in the past is actually, so generally with all of my um, obedience customers, I tell them, I try to get your dog to a public access obedience level, right? We're not doing anything with like emotional support or uh, smelling for seizures or anything like that, just the obedience level. Um, but we have done in the past, like, uh, for example, if somebody's uh, diabetic, uh, the dog will then smell the blood sugars level and they will signal for the person. And that's kind of a weird case because that's not something you can really do in a matter of weeks. That really takes months. Um, and you really need a very specific dog. Like, for example, if you were to get a dog that was just all over the place, too crazy, too energetic, too interested in everything around they might miss a signal. And for somebody like that, where they kind of depend on that dog, it really is life or death. So we typically try to pick from a puppy and then go for two to three years to get them to that level. I was going to say that takes a long time. I think, 
I think this dog could do it. She's got that one of the best noses I've ever had on yeah, a dog. Yeah, she's she's so. done a little bit of scent training, so we have like a little scent training kit. And so this Easter we hid Easter eggs with like kibble, and uh, there were a couple high value treats in them, but we hid them around the house, and it only took her about twenty minutes to find what thirty thirty six eggs. Mm-hmm. So not not too bad. That's the first time we ever did it in the house. Really, usually we do scent training outside, but yeah. Yeah, scent training is fun. We used to play hide and seek with our dogs. It's seriously the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> it's so fun to see how they how they do it. Uh, you know, they they're excited at first and they kind of run around and then they kind of settle into it and then you can really mm-hmm. see their brain like and then they find something and if if it's a bunch of things, they find the first thing and and you they get the praise and then when they kind of lose scent for a minute, they start to go back to those spots. Did I miss mm-hmm. anything? Is there still something there? It's fun to watch their brains think it out. Yeah, absolutely. So have you ever done um, any sort of like uh, hunting dog training or anything like that? We haven't really done a ton of hunting dog training. Um, I started to do like shed hunting with my dog. um, But I mean, we've never been a huge hunting family. We've gone deer hunting like twice in my life. So it's never really something that really interests me a ton. Um, but it's something I'd like to get into eventually. I was just curious, you know, growing up in Gunnison and Ephraim <laughs> and Salem, like those are the kinds of smaller communities where you do have a lot of hunting oftentimes. And I've seen, you know, I've seen hunting dogs, mostly like bird dogs more than anything that are just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, but again, a lot of those end up being trained basically from the time they're taken from their mother until, you know, the six month mark when they're then given to whoever has, has, you know, purchased that dog. I mean, so it's a little different sort of scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of work for sure. Um, yeah, it's really cool to watch those dogs work. Um, one other thing that I've seen that also takes a lot of time, but again, is one of those like bucket list items is the sheep herding dogs, the high level, like yeah. from a mile away based off of whistles. Those are incredible. And I mean, those dogs, they train for years to get them to there, but it's so cool to watch. Yeah. Those are super cool. I like to watch those on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I always look at Phoebe cause you know, she's a black mouth cur and I'm like, Hmm. Yeah, yeah, you would not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what's your range? How far out do you go, or how far out are you willing to go? As far as like traveling for training, correct. Yes. Um, realistically, I'm all over Utah County, um, all the time. But I have gone up to Park City, up by Wyoming. Oh, I mean, okay. I go all over. Um, it just really depends. Um. As long as they're willing to compensate for my time and travel, that's all I really care about. Because it's hard when, you know, I'd travel an hour and a half up there, do an hour long, two hour long session, and then another hour and a half back because that's like two sessions that I could have fit in. So that's where it gets complicated. But realistically, I'm willing to move to people if they need it, you know. Gotcha. So when you do your like your your boot camps uh, with dogs, like how many dogs are you dealing with at a time typically? We usually only do the private sessions. So if I get a boot camp, I have one or two at a time. I really haven't pushed those nearly as hard. Um, a lot of trainers like to push it. Just to be honest with you, there's a lot more money in it. You know, um, I'm kind of tapping into a market that doesn't necessarily have the funds that they want to spend three grand on training. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. But you know, if somebody comes and they're just like, listen, I don't want to deal with the time. I don't want to wait that long. I just want you to fix this, have it done fast and then bring it back to me and teach me what you've done. Then yeah, we do a boot camp. Um, so what, uh, what's your favorite uh, breed of dog to work with if you get to choose? So for me personally, as a trainer, I think that I prefer any breed that comes from a working line because they have a little bit more high energy. They have a lot more focus. Um, and as far as training, there's just a lot more that they're capable of doing. Um, I do not recommend a working line breed for anybody that just wants a house pet that just hangs out at the home. <laughs> then they can't feed. My dog has so much energy and I don't know why. Yeah, it's have, it's, it's funny because when we got uh, when we got Phoebe, so Phoebe's mom was a pit bull. We got her from a big adoption event. Um, like a, it was several, cause several years ago. Well, cause was the group that we got her from, but it was a huge adoption event with a lot more than just cause there. Um, but they, when we were looking at her, her mom was a pit bull and she had 11 in the litter and nine of the 11 looked like pit bulls. Yeah. They were little black pit bulls. Her and one of the, one of her brothers out of that litter looked like she does, which is a lot more like a black mouth cur. But, you know, when we started looking at her, the lady from cause that was there talking to us was like, you know what you're getting with this pit bull. And all I think was like, one, I do know what I'm getting with a pit bull breed because I've had bully breeds in the past. Like, but two specifically pit bull for me anyway, the warning should have been the working breed because the working breed takes so much more energy. If you want a dog that just wants to hang around the house and be a nanny dog, pit bulls are great, actually. They're great. Yeah, our, dogs. our Dogo pit bull mix was pretty lazy. But mm-hmm. like, but I think that warning needs to come with working dogs. Cause like you said, mm-hmm. people will get like, Oh, I got this collie or I got a Sheltie or, you know, I got a, like, like I said, you said the, a doodle, the doodle, which is like <laughs> half, half a poodle, standard poodle, which is a working dog that a lot of people don't realize that. And then half lab, which is also a working dog. Like those are the kinds of dogs, like you, they have so much energy. They, baby is almost four and she is still, she sells boundless energy when we have friend dogs over to play with her she will play and play and play and play and just not even think about it she went to training all day today and she's still upstairs like walking around and patrolling and making sure that everything's okay upstairs while we're down here and yeah it's kind of crazy the difference that good breeding will do really because i mean my father-in-law wanted a german shepherd and he decided he was going to go all out and get a working line shepherd from Germany. And to be fair, he's a phenomenal dog, beautiful black coat, really cool dog. But within a couple of days, they were like, okay, we might be in over our heads. This dog (laughs) is not on everything, chewing on everything it gets his mouth on. I mean, it was just, it was a lot of dog for a house pet. Um, And honestly, I see that a lot. You know, people want to do the best. They want the best of the best, but they don't realize that there's a lot of work that comes with it. Healers are another common one, like you yes. see, because there's a lot of healer mutt breeds, like mm-hmm. just floating around out there, and people get them because they're they're that perfect size dog, medium, they're the thirty to forty pound dog that will travel around with you and go on hikes with you, and they don't realize they require a lot of energy expenditure, both both mm-hmm. mentally and physically. Absolutely. You mentioned uh, the chewing thing, and Phoebe is definitely a dog that loves to chew. What What do you recommend? Because our trainer with her just said, you know, 
make sure that she's redirected. And she pretty much, I can't think of anything in the last. She ate a remote was the first thing she's eaten in three years that oh, I left on the couch. Yeah. But he, he didn't leave it on a table. Like he literally left it on the couch, which, you know, like that we, we let her up on the couch with us and she got up there and she was like, well, this seems like free game. It's not on a table. Hasn't been put, put up anywhere. Like I guess this is mine. Yeah, that's tough. So chewing in general can be difficult to handle. So your trainer's absolutely right. The first step is always redirect. Teach them what you can put your mouth on. If you want to shut a dog off from chewing altogether, it'll <laughs> never work. They will always find something to chew, even if it's the edge of their crate. They will chew it. Um, but also what I like to do when I tell you know people I'm working with that are having this specific problem, try to catch them in the act. Make it very clear, hey, my shoe is not a chew toy. And then when they end up, you know, because they're going to pick it up again when you're not around. When you catch them doing it, set them up for failure and correct it. Um, we deal with impulsivity with um, basically a correction training base. So if you catch them doing something out of an impulse that they know you've made it clear you're not allowed to do, you correct them for it. And typically, if you give them something to redirect to that doesn't have that correction, and it's just it's not, it becomes not worth it to them to pick up whatever it is. Um, again, though, with working lines, they're going to want to try everything, so you really do have to keep an eye on them. <laughs> I like what you said, though, too, and I think a lot of people don't don't think about that because it's one thing to like catch them in the act on circumstance, but you said something specific, which is set them up for failure, mm -hmm. put them in situations where it's going to happen, mm -hmm. set stuff out there. And it's one of the things, you know, when we first started doing a lot of training with her, that, that was surprising to me. Like there's a, there's a game that we would play with her, um, um, sort of like a leave it game where we would set plates of stuff she wanted, uh, somewhere and she would have to leave it alone and mm -hmm. then she would get rewarded for leaving it alone, but that's but not from the plate. Yeah, you know? and not the same thing that was on the plate. Right. It was something else, but it was yeah. something also desirable. But I think a lot of people miss that that piece. Yeah, I they they come in and find them with their favorite shoes or mm -hmm. a brand new pair of shoes or something, and then they just get mad. And mm -hmm. there's but, there's the dogs like, well, okay, but I still want to chew on something. Oh, she just right. goes and grabs, you know, her toys. She knows that she can chew them. We're to the point now. I mean, we we're pretty clean. We we're pretty tidy with picking stuff up, but like if, if there's a pair of shoes left out, I, I have no fear. I can leave her for 12 hours and she mm -hmm. won't go to the bathroom and she won't chew on anything. She's not supposed to. She'll go find her toys, right. chew on something. She won't she bother those. That energy, right? Yep. Yeah. And it's, you mentioned something too about, you know, you come home and your dog is now chewed up your shoes or your remote or whatever it is. Right. And we are very emotional beings and we actually perceive time a lot different. So a lot of the time I see typically for whatever reason, um, it's the husband comes home, something's chewed up and immediately goes and hits the dog in the newspaper. Even though the dog is nowhere near the thing that it chewed up, it's the time has elapsed that dog doesn't even dog's remember. Dog's got happened. no idea why exactly. you're mad. <laughs> exactly. So I see a lot of the time people come in with their, you know, husbands and the dog is afraid of the husband. It's like, well, why is it afraid of me? It has no reason to be. I'm like, you correct them without them knowing what they're being corrected for. So, I mean, for example, I just if think I'm you're dealing, mean an unpredictable. Yeah, exactly. And that's all they see. They do not see any predictability in that. 
Um, we want to be predictable when we're doing other types of training. Um, but realistically, we want anytime we do a correction, we want it to be for a very specific thing that they're doing in that exact moment. If you're trying to correct a dog for anything it did 5, 10, 20 minutes, two hours ago, they will not know what you're talking about because they don't think that way. It's just what's in that moment. So I have, a, I have a couple of training questions for you. Sure. Um, the first one is, what is, in your opinion as a, as a professional trainer, what is the most important command or thing that you can train a dog on? Absolutely, without a doubt, recall. Um, too often I see people that have a dog that gets out and then all of a sudden the dog realizes, oh, this is a game. I'm just going to run away and stay away. Um, especially Huskies because they were bred to run away, right? Um, but <laughs> any dog will do this, especially if they know that they're not supposed to be outside and you're going to pursue them. That's how dogs play. If you see any two dogs, they're going to chase each other back and forth, and it's just a big game to them. Um, so I think recall, without a doubt, is the most important thing. That's a really good answer. Yeah, that's that's exactly what our, our trainer said. We used to train Phoebe on the big long lead and let her kind of go out and then call mm -hmm. her back and kind of help her if she needed it. But right. we well, had a really of the freedom, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. we had a really good uh, case of that happening. I think she was only like a year and a half old or something. And some friends were coming over and they propped open the door. And then all of a sudden we're looking around and we're like, where's the dog? And we went outside and we called her and she came immediately and came back mm -hmm. into the house. And because now we know if we leave the door open, we just tell her to go back inside. And she's yeah. like, oh, all right, fine. And she goes back inside. Right. Because you've made the perception of that. It, it was her choice in a controlled environment. So when it was uncontrolled, she still had the choice. And she was like, well, I know that if I try to get away, there's no point. So she get, went right back inside. That's really good. And she loves Chase, so. Yeah, yeah, so we definitely aren't ever going to chase her. She's so much faster than us, we wouldn't win anyway. Yeah, I actually, I had a neighbor that he had a dog across the street, and for years he would run this dog. And for the first couple of years, they'd go a mile, two miles, then it went to five miles, then 10 miles, then he got a mountain bike and started taking him 20, 30 miles, and they'd get home, and the dog would lay down for an hour, then pop right back up. You just have all the energy in the world again. So they will absolutely outpace you physically all day long. So that actually that actually does bring up another uh, another good question. What kinds of mental stimulation do you teach people to use with their dogs? Because I think a lot of people forget, you know, dogs do use their brains a lot, and and using their brains, using their other senses like their sense of smell, mm -hmm. wear them out just as much as the physical activity. Well, that does. and people forget if, if you train, like you were just talking about your friend or whoever mm -hmm. that was that, you know, they forget that they're, they're running a mile. And once they've run a mile for a while, they can run five miles. And then once right. they've done that, they can run. Well, if you're doing that with your dog, you're doing the same thing for your dog and it's going to take longer and longer and longer and longer for mm -hmm. them to wear out. And there's going to be a point where your dog, you can't go far enough to wear your dog out physically so what are, what are your favorite things to teach people to kind of mentally make your dog tired? You know, there's a lot of different products out there. Um, I see a lot of these enrichment toys, essentially, where you like, it's a big blanket with flaps on it and you hide the food inside. The dog goes through and finds it. And those are great. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I tell all of my customers that are like, hey, should I get this? I was like, listen, if you're going to do training, 
honestly don't because all you're doing is you're building a positive association with that blanket. I would rather them, I have all of my clients feed from the hand, uh, at least just for the first couple of weeks, all the food that they get comes from the hand. That way they have that positive association. Um, and then honestly, what's really cool is we mentally outpace dogs just as much, if not more than they, like they outpace us physically. Right. So I tell them we do a lot of, um, we call it engagement. Um, basically it's trading food for their focus, requiring them to focus on you. And it starts really basic. You start in the living room and you just, while their eyes are on you, you give them a treat, you give them a treat and you keep backing up, letting them push into you and you reward their focus. And then you go and you take it a step further. You go out to the yard and then you take it a step further and you go down the street. Next thing you know, you're doing this at like a fence with dogs barking and snarling on the other side. And you're sitting there rewarding your dog for just focusing on you. And what's really cool is you can really push that pretty much infinitely far, right? Just take them to a park, take them by a railroad track with a train going by. There's really no limit to where you can do this. And the more that you do this, the dog is now going to be able to focus on you with every other command that you've ever taught them. Um, it's one of those things I teach it in the very first session and I'll literally have them pull it out and do it by the end of the sessions too. It's just, it's such a useful tool for everybody. Um, and on top of that, dogs really, like I said, they mentally don't have that capacity that we do. So even just a 20, 30 minute session will absolutely get them exhausted and they will not be able to like, you know, have that high energy that they had before. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we do our like I, we work from home but we still send her to a, a daycare we try and do it at least a couple of times a month just to make sure that she's like she goes in she gets some some directed time with some other dogs to play she can mm -hmm. learn some new things they tell us some of the new things that they're trying with her whatever then we can kind of try new things with her at home as we kind mm -hmm. of get because we get bored sometimes with doing the same thing. She doesn't necessarily, but sometimes we're like, oh, I'm really, really tired of this, this thing. Like what else can we do to teach her? And, um, mm -hmm. so I feel like, I feel like with trainers, people think, okay, now my dog's trained. I don't need to worry about it anymore. But I think kind of sometimes going back and saying, Hey, have you got any new things that you know? Have you learned any new things? Or, Hey, I accidentally trained my dog to do this this weird thing. And now I got to untrain them. Like, what are your hints, you know, for untraining something I accidentally trained my dog to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, honestly, one of the things that we see as well, oh, I'm sorry, I just had a total derailment in my train of thought. Um, when we're doing the engagement and whatnot, it, we also, we teach the dog to communicate, right? So like you said, um, there's just, you get bored of it sometimes. I teach my clients how to communicate with the dog. I teach them how to mark specific behaviors for a no and a mark specific behaviors for a yes. Um, and if they want help and guidance, then we help get them there, right? But once you have the tools in your tool belt, you can really take that dog and get them to do anything. All you have to do is get them to take that first tiny little step um, and then just mark it and get them to do it again and again. And repetition is key. Definitely. You guys got any more? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of curious. Um, you know, we've talked roughly pricing wise. Um, what kind of pricing do you have out there? I know you work with with clients individually, depending on on need. But do you have kind of like a ballpark of of what your services are? Yeah. So the baseline for us. So obviously, we offer a lot of different things. Um, I mentioned that we're not really running a lot of group classes right now. We're going to start that up again. So that's five classes and we start the pricing at $250, so like $50 a class. You come down to me, we're in a group of no more than 10 dogs and we basically do the same stuff I do in the private session. Um, it's a little more difficult because there's a lot of people there, but if you're diligent, you can get the same results. And then I do obviously the private and in-home sessions. So my private sessions start at $100 a session. Um, so I do, I try to only do six sessions or more, right? Because it's one of those things, like I said, repetition is key. If you want to come and do one session, unless you've already been training, there's no point, right? It, we want to make sure that you're getting the results and you're not just paying for the first session. Um, and then we also do the in-home session. So that's the same price for the private, the $100. Plus I have a standard $50 traveling fee, which I tend to kind of bend up and down depending on how far you are, right? Um, 50 yeah, bucks I, to travel to Ogden, that's a good deal, man. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we'll bend it based off of scenarios, but yeah, um, that's typically just the starting point. Um, and then obviously we do offer the um, board and train as well. That's just the three-week class. And then we do... Typically, we do four private sessions, but I mean, it's one of those things. It's a life guy a lifetime guarantee. So I've done more, I've done less. It just depends on the person. Um, and that starts at 2,500. Um, and then if we have to do an aggression course where I, you know, board and train them for five weeks, we start that at 3,500. Um, typically I don't charge people on the aggression one. Cause like we said before, people think they have an aggressive dog when in reality they don't have an aggressive dog. They have a fearful or anxious dog. Mm -hmm. I have honestly only seen probably seven or eight truly aggressive dogs. And these are dogs that absolutely scare you to work with. Um, realistically, most dogs are not to that point. So uh, I usually don't have to charge that much, but, but yeah, that's kind of my baseline for everything. And then of course, you know, service dog stuff, that's kind of a case by case basis. And, you know, if somebody wants something specific as well. Um, yeah, we kind of cater to that. Um, we're also trying to start something with our, uh, you know, graduated students where we're going to do like a monthly club. We're all going to meet up with other trained dogs that we know that we can trust and, you know, get with a bunch of people, mingle, go out to a park or go hiking up the mountains, get our dogs around other dogs so that they can socialize in a healthy environment. Um, and I haven't really figured anything out as far as pricing on that goes yet, but, you know, just so we're clear, that's down the pipeline. So how do you feel about dog parks? I was just going to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. I knew this was going to come. Um, <laughs> That's okay. It's a trick question. So you, I think you're going to answer this if correctly. If you've ever listened but... to the show, you probably would have a good idea that your answer is fine. <laughs> I like dog parks that I can stand on the other side of a fence, right? <laughs> I love working dogs around the chaos of a dog park without it being uncontrolled. I will never take any of my dogs into a dog park till the day that I die. Um, honestly, it is a breeding ground for aggression, fearfulness, impulsivity. There's nothing good that comes from it. 
Um, there's plenty of parks. There's plenty of places to take your dog to run and have, you know, not have another dog come running up and just attack another dog for no reason. Um, and then, like I said, it, the impulsivity is just, it just makes it not worth it. You know, people want control of their dogs and the, here's the hard part is they want to control their dog, but they also want to be that laxed parent that just lets them do whatever they want. <laughs> There's a balance there. You know, my dog, she yeah. listens to me perfectly. If I call her off of anything, whether she's eating food, chasing a squirrel, whatever it is, she turns and comes, but I have a release command to tell her, Hey, by the way, you're not on the clock. I'm not going to make you do anything. Go have fun. Go run. And there's an immediate switch. She goes and she darts off and she's a dog again. But the important thing is, is I have the control to call her off so that she's not just purely running on impulse. Um, and yeah, dog parks are just. That doesn't exist at dog parks. Yeah, exactly. It's just a nightmare. You've got like a couple people that have some pretty good control, but the rest of the people are just like. Okay, Sam, 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 mm-hmm. Sam, Sam, Sam. One of when the you know, things I used to remind Chris of when we were, when we were training Phoebe is he would say her name and then say her name and then say her name. And I'm like, now she thinks that the command is Phoebe, 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 come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you, you, you want to get their attention like you would your kids and your kids, you kind of say their name until they kind of look over at you. But your dog, everything is a command in it in some way, shape or form. Like yep. their name is, you know, usually kind of a, a look at you kind of a command. A call to focus. Yeah. And then like me just saying that she was laying down and I saw her head kind of swivel <laughs> like, what? I'm right here. What are you calling me for? But like, you know, we we have a wait command for Phoebe that mm-hmm. that means, you know, I can put her somewhere and then I can call her to me. But her stay command means I come back to you. You stay where I put you. I'll come and get you. And, yep. and she, she's kind of learned all of those things. And, and when we stray, you know, and we'll say something funny and I'll be like, oh, that's not a command. That's just me talking to her. What's the command for what mm-hmm. I want her to do? Right. When you're in a dog park, it's all of the people that are just like, come on, little Sammy, let's go do this thing. No, no, don't do that. You know, mm-hmm. and, that's that's not good if I'm your dog our is... next dog Sam now. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's uh that's that's just basically teaching your dog. It's cause... like kids at the kid park. Yeah. Like toddlers at the park. It is the same thing. Oh, yep. they're about the same level brain wise. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go and get them and all you taught them was, Oh, well if they really want me, they'll just come over here and get me. Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, you're totally right. That is seriously the most common thing. Um but honestly, my biggest concern for going to the dog park truly is getting attacked by another dog. Yep. Um, cause you're right. The impulsivity, it's super annoying and it backtracks all of the training. There's nothing that good comes from that. Um, but I have seen so many dogs that, you know, they went one time and then this big pit bull or even a little chihuahua, like we were saying earlier, comes running up and just full on goes at them. Next thing you know, that dog can't meet other dogs without having you control that environment very specifically. You know, it just, it takes that dog and makes them go into fight or flight and almost it makes them have a trauma response. Anytime a new dog comes running up. Um, yeah, Cause now they're, now they're not sure you weren't there mm-hmm. to protect them. Now they're not sure. Do I need to protect me? Is yep. this dog coming at me? Cause they're friendly or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, there's just so many variables. It's just not worth it. So how do people get a hold of you or find you if they want to, uh, ask for your help on training a dog 
Yeah, absolutely. So we have a Facebook page, a Facebook page, sorry, uh, Alpha Pros Canine Training. You can also find us at www.alphaproscaninetraining.com. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of all over the place. One thing I like to tell people too is, you know, we're trying to make this a business, but realistically, not everybody has the extra funds to pay for training. You know, if you want to buy my time, then absolutely. Um, but I do not gatekeep information. So, you know, if you're having a very specific problem, you're looking for advice, you know, get a hold of us. We'd love to help. That's fantastic. Before you do the card, Chris, I just, um, we interviewed the Utah Film Center a little bit ago and they have a Tumbleweeds Festival this weekend and they've emailed me about it and I completely forgot to put it on there and I just wanted to put yeah, it out there. Yeah, we're not done with it. He's that. still got a question to go. Oh, that's right. I forgot <laughs> his last question. Anyway, yeah. I just wanted to put that out there for the people that were interested in the film festival last time. I, that was, that's me. I just spaced it. Uh, okay. So last question, then we'll, uh, we'll make you sit through our outro, uh, and uh, let you go. Um, you've been a native Utah in your whole life. So what's the most interesting or unique thing that you've discovered about Utah in your life here? Oh man, that's a good one. Um, I'd say either the culture or the scenery, you know, I've been a couple other places, not too many, but the people are just different. You know, Utah is, it's very friendly. It's very open. Um, maybe that has to do with, you know, the whole LDS church being so ingrained here, but you know, even in the non LDS community, everybody's just friendly and nice, you know, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter anything. It just, it's a really great place to live. Um, on top of that, I truly could not live what live without these mountains, you know, there's, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like going up into the canyon, disappearing from civilization, and just being in your own little world. It's just the best. It really is awesome. It's one of my favorite things about Utah, too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thanks for joining us. Um, we're gonna we're now gonna read our uh, spiritual as fuck um, affirmation. Maybe <laughs> is what we call these. I don't know. We got a box of a bunch Weekly of weekly affirmation. Uh, we do these at the end of every show, uh, and this week's is no equals a full sentence. It's got a little equal sign there. No equal, no equals, a, full a full sentence. Which is, which I, you know, I, I just pulled them at random and. But I, you know, that, that suits a, a, a dog I mean, training that's a, episode. There's a lot of single word full sentences for dogs. So, <laughs> uh, you know what punctuates that sentence? Action. We spend so much time explaining our boundaries that we forget to just have a fucking boundary. Say no and quit. Uh, and quit participating in what you said no to. Remove yourself from the situation if you have to. Be your own boundary. I like that. That works great for dogs, too. Dogs crave mm-hmm. boundaries. Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, uh, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Sorry for the weird technical problem in the middle of the thing. I hate Zencaster now. If anyone is a <laughs> Zencaster fan, they've been making some changes that have not been good this being one of them. Um, but hopefully it'll be fine and post. I'll have to do more extra work probably, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll turn out. Well, I'm very glad to be on the pleasure was all mine. So, um, it was really nice talking with you guys too. 
If you guys like what you heard, please share the episode. That's what helps us the most. Uh, you can find us out on social medias at TNU Podcast, and you can go visit our website at hotdog-water.com or uh, the New Utah Podcast uh, is probably the the New Utah is the website, not right. the New Utah yeah, Podcast. It's the New Utah.com. Yeah, we got the better website there. Um, yeah, hope you guys have a great week and um, contact Sean if you need some dog training, especially if you're down in Utah County. If you're up in Ogden, you could probably still call him, but Maybe that $50 fee is going to, going to yeah, be that's a lot a long, higher. That's a long drive. That's a long drive for Sean. So all I'll say is don't settle for less, right? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you.